You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 50 of that one time on tour is brought to you by Talking with Andrew and Chris. Hey guys, I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And we're the hosts of Talking with Andrew and Chris, a show about life, music, and everything in between. Each week, we sit down with songwriters, producers, radio hosts, and other creatives from all across the entertainment industry to talk about their process. We've already had guests such as Dom Reed of Broadside, Tyler Wilson of 7715, Mike Fishkin of Adobe Radio, as well as others, and we've got a lot more on the way. We really hope you guys join us every Monday, and if you're a fan of this kind of show, then we feel you'll be right at home. We're available everywhere podcasts are available, and we hope to hear from you soon. Stay sweet! Hello, this is Benjamin Harper, former founding member of the band Yellow Card, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey boys and girls, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I speak with uh, people in or around the entertainment industry, mostly in the music industry. So if you're joining me for the first time, thank you so much. However you got here, I'm glad you're here. For everybody else, thank you for coming back week in and week out. I appreciate you guys checking out last week's episode with Jake and Logan from the band Law. Hope you guys enjoyed that. It was a great episode, and uh, it was actually supposed to be this week. If you listened to last week, you heard that my hard drive ate my episode with Kevin Martin from Candlebox, and I was very bummed out. I felt like I wasted his time. I felt I felt horrible. It was it was horrible. But I have spoken with Kevin. He understood that technology sucks sometimes, and he's going to be back on the podcast. We're recording at the end of the month, and you guys will get to hear all the sweet Candlebox stories, and I can't wait for that. Kevin is a great guy, and uh, Kevin, if you're listening, thank you so much for putting up with my fuck up, and uh, can't wait to have you on the show again. So guys, right here at the top, I'm going to go ahead and get the housekeeping out of the way. We've got a couple sponsors to talk about. You heard the little commercial at the beginning of the podcast. That was for this really cool podcast uh, that's called Talking with Andrew and Chris. I want you guys to check them out. They've got some good guests on there, and uh, the sound quality, the production of the podcast is stellar. So check them out and go support Andrew and Chris 
And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for sponsoring this episode. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be on their show in the future, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I also need to tell you about Artist Flags. I love this company so much. They make scrims and backdrops for bands. Uh, like I said in the past, they've done stuff with Under Oath. They've done stuff with so many different bands. They sent me some really cool stuff for the podcast with the logo on it. So if you are in a band or you have a company or whatever, you just want something in your house, I bet you they could even do like a picture of your dog or something. So just hit them up at artistflags.com. It's artistflags on all of the social media platforms. So hit them up and tell them that Chris from that one time on tour sent you. Speaking of sponsors, if you guys want to become a sponsor, you have a band or a company, and you think that this would be the place to advertise to your potential customers, go ahead and hit me up at tototpodcast at gmail.com. I work with all budgets, and uh, I just want to, you know, I've got a small platform, and I'd like to let you put your stuff on the platform, as long as I like your band and I like your product. It, It has to be that. I'm not a... I'm not just here to make money. (laughs) Believe me, if I was here to make money, it wouldn't be as a podcaster. So, okay, so that is out of the way. I'll just go ahead and throw in there. If you guys are on the social media platforms, hit us up, follow us, TOTOT Podcast. I hang out on Instagram more than anywhere else, so make sure that you're following us. Subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. It really helps the show, and uh, I might read one of your reviews on the podcast, so check it out. So now we're going to head into my favorite new segment that we do. We've been doing it on almost every episode here lately. It is the top five list. Uh, This is where I have you guys send in top five lists and you tell me your top five of the category. And then I, off the top of my head, I give you my top five. So I have Andy from Wisconsin. He sent in the top five list, top five fat records albums. This was a tough one for me. I actually, I, this, it's on the top of my head, but I wrote them down. I didn't use any research or anything. So I'm going to start with Andy's first from five going up to one. Andy's fifth album is no effects. First ditch effort. I got to say, I love that record. I'm a little surprised that, uh, some of the other no effects records didn't make it into your list, but that that's a solid, solid release. So good job with that one. Uh, number four, anti-flag, the terror state. Uh, we had Chris number two on the show, and he's a great guy. Uh, when I was in the Ataris, we did some gigs with Anti-Flag. I love the Terror State. If I'm not mistaken, and uh, somebody email me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the Terror State was recorded right here in Indiana at Sonic Iguana with Mass over there in Lafayette. So yeah, that's a great record as well. Coming in at number three, Andy has Lagwagon with Haas. I got to agree, uh, I've got some Lagwagon on my list as well. Lagwagon is an amazing band. They're one of my favorites. They always have been. So a nice, solid choice with Haas. Number two, Less Than Jake, Borders and Boundaries. I love Less Than Jake. Back in the day, if you can believe it or not, I had a ska phase, and they were one of the bands that kind of did it for me. I was into Less Than Jake and Mustard Plug and Against All Authority. I mean, God, those guys are awesome. If you guys haven't heard Against All Authority, check them out. They had some releases on Hopeless Records back in the day. But a solid choice at number two. We're coming up to number one, and uh, I didn't pick this one because you did. <laughs> one of my favorite bands of all time. No Use for a Name with Leche Con Carne, which, man, Tony Sly is just the best songwriter in the world. So, Andy, I agree with you. No Use for a Name is way up there in my book as well. So, excellent top five, Andy. I'm going to go through them real quick again. No Effects, First Ditch Effort at number five. 
Anti-Flag, The Terror State at number four, Lagwagon with Haas at number three, and Less, Less Than Jake, Borders and Boundaries at number two, and No Use for a Name with Leche Con Carne at number one. So here we go. These are the ones that I just scribbled down from memory. There's so many great Fat Records albums that I own to this day. I've got them even on cassette. I've got, I think I've got more Fat Records stuff than anything else. But uh, just off the top of my head, I wrote these down about five minutes ago. But uh, this is Chris's list, me, Chris Swinney. Uh, number five, I've got No Effects with The Decline. I didn't know if I was supposed to do like a full-length album. I know that's kind of, it's one song, but it's like 17 minutes long. So I think it's kind of like an EP. But The Decline is just it's a masterpiece, man. And it, it just, it's the best thing ever. I still listen to it all the time. I love the decline. So number five is no effects with the decline coming in at number four. I picked a lag wagon too, and I picked trashed. That's one of their earlier records. And I just remember hearing that and hearing the harmonies and just all the crazy stuff. And man, it was, it's such a great record. They have so many good records. I don't think they've ever put out a bad record, but my favorite just from nostalgia and when I got into punk rock was probably trashed by Lagwagon. Number three, I have strung out with Twisted by Design. Twisted by Design is an amazing album. I remember when I was talking to Sean Cologne, the, the director and the writer of uh, the Fat Wreck documentary about Strung Out, and we kind of had the same the same experience. I remember when I, I was into punk rock and then I heard Strung Out do like a pinch harmonic and I was like, whoa you can put metal into punk and it just really, it really opened my eyes. So strung out twisted by design at number three, number two, one of my favorite records of all time, propagandi or propagandi. I've heard people say that as well. Potemkin city limits. I believe it was their last record on fat before they jumped to a different label, but it is so good. There's so, so much crazy guitar work and just the melodies Everything is perfect. Propaganda gets a little political sometimes. I, I kind of enjoy that. I think, you know, I like my politics with my punk rock, but some people don't. But man, it's just, they're stellar. They're also one of the best live bands I've ever seen in my entire life. I am trying very, very hard right now to get Chris, Hannah, the singer and, uh, you know, lead guitar guy to come on the podcast. I've met him a few times in the past. I've got a really cool story about, I think I might've said this on the podcast before I was on tour in Canada and I never really saw pictures of the band and I love them so much. And I'd never seen them live at that point. And I was sitting at this bar in Winnipeg after we played and talking to this guy. And, uh, after about two hours of talking, I realized that it was Chris Hanna from propaganda and I, I felt like a douchebag, but, uh, I want to talk to him about that. So hopefully he'll come on the show. So yeah, number two propaganda with Potemkin city limits. Number one, I went with a no use for a name album as well. Uh, I went with more betterness because I don't, when I heard that record, they slowed down a bit. It was almost kind of like, you know, when you heard load or reload from Metallica, like it was a total 180 on as far as everything sounded. It wasn't quite that just fast punk beat all the time. It was, I felt like it was more melodic if you can actually get more melodic than their previous stuff. And there were just different drum beats and, and the dynamics were just so different. And that, that record sticks with me. I still listen to it all the time. Not that I, you know, don't listen to Lecce con carne and making friends, but, but no use for a name. More betterness is my number one at this moment right now. So yeah, there's my list. Number five, no effects the decline. Number four, lag wagon with trashed. Number three, strung out twisted by design. Number two, propagandi Potemkin city limits. And number one, no use for a name with more betterness.
So yeah, I hope you guys liked the top five list segment this week. If you want to send me a top five list, hit me up at the email, tototpodcast at gmail.com or anywhere on the social media platforms, tototpodcast. Uh, If you want to help the show out and you want to have priority for things like top five lists, go on over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash tototpodcast for like less than two cups of good coffee a month. You can help us and uh, it helps us basically in our quality and our content. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of tough doing this. It takes a lot of time. People don't realize that you don't just talk on a mic and you're done. There's a lot of scheduling and, you know, equipment and all kinds of stuff. So I enjoy doing it. I'll always do it. I'll do it for free. I'm not trying to make any money, but if you want to help the show out, I'd really appreciate the support. So head on over to Patreon and check it out. Coming up uh, on episode number 52, it's going to be our special year episode. We've been doing it for over a year now, but I skipped a couple weeks. So episode 52 is going to be kind of the big celebration, the big milestone of 52 episodes, one for every week in a year. And uh, it's going to be an Ask Chris episode. I'm compiling a list of questions currently, and uh, my wife has been helping me. She's my producer. She's going to be on that show, hopefully. She keeps saying she is, and then I say, are you sure? And she's like, I don't know. She's kind of scared to get on the mic, but I'm going to get her on the mic. She's going to ask me some questions from you guys. So go ahead and send in your questions to the email, any of the social medias, whatever. And just remember, if you become a patron, you get priority. So I will read your questions first. Okay, so that about does it. I'm going to get out of here. I haven't even told you who the guest is today. So if you're still listening, I appreciate it. Uh, I got to sit down with Benjamin Harper of the band Yellow Card, this legend, and he also runs and oversees and owns Takeover Records. Uh, We had a really good time chatting. There's a little bit of weird kind of interference on my track for some reason. I'm not really sure. I'm still new to this podcasting game and sometimes it goes great. And sometimes there's some weird stuff with my phone and the computer and, and everything, but his, his sounds great. My track sounds a little weird. I cleaned it up as best I could. So uh, please do not judge me on the quality of this podcast, but the content is wonderful. So I hope you guys enjoy this. This is my conversation with Mr. Benjamin Harper of the band yellow card, this legend and takeover records. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Ben Harper. How you doing today, buddy? Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Big Bear Lake, California. How are you? I'm good. It's it's not probably as beautiful here in Muncie, Indiana, but it's starting to get warmer. No snow on the ground, so I'm happy. Yeah, you know, we're actually 7,000 feet, so we are, you know, we're the Southern California mountains where the ski resorts are, so we get snow, and we've had a lot of snow this year, so I can kind of relate to you, sir. <laughs> Well, I know that you you grew up in Florida, correct? Yes, wonderfully humid Florida. I I like to start these things out. I mean, I know there's some small talk and whatnot, but I would really like to dig right in. I want to I want to know what got you into music. We're going to talk about all your bands and all the stuff that you've done. But what spoke to you? You're around my age. I think we're like two years apart. So uh, when you were young, like what got you into guitar and what got you into music and made you passionate about it? Huh. Um. I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, my father was in, you know, in the Pink Floyd and ACDC, and I grew up, of course. My parents were born and raised in Los Angeles. Even though I was, um, grew up in Florida, they listened to a lot of music, but I, I got to say that what brought me to playing guitar was 
the whole grunge movement, like I was a little kid watching the MTV Video Music Awards and I would see, I think it was Pearl Jam was playing live and it was just so fascinating about their performance and they were jumping around and it was just like cool music that I wasn't used to. And I think I asked for a guitar for my 12th Christmas or whatnot when I was 12 years old and I got a guitar and started learning Nirvana songs and Pearl Jam songs and that kind of did it. So that was the start. Did you get an acoustic or an electric for that first guitar? It was, um, it was a Fender Squire. It was like a red and white Fender Squire and it was electric and I had a little practice amp and I took my first lesson from my stepmom's sister and I think my first song was Tom Petty Free Falling because it's just a a D chord variation. Yeah, it's know? got it's got like the the sus four and the sus two in it, right? Yeah, you know your stuff. <laughs> yeah, I te- I teach stuff. guitar for a living, so we might nerd out if you know a little bit about theory. I do. I'm a. I'm. I'll, I'll tell you what, and I can tell you later. I like what I do now and stuff for a living, and but um, I did teach. I, I got a teaching AP theory in um, high school, and my, we, I ended up going to arts high school. And then I taught, also I taught, you know, guitar lessons out of high school to make money before Yellow Curve moved away. And it was, it wasn't like advanced theory teaching, but it was more like teaching young kids how to play songs they heard on the radio. That's cool. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah, totally. I've got like 60 kids a week and some of them are like pretty advanced. So we're doing like college level theory, but a lot of the kids, I'm just teaching them the chords and the scales and stuff like that, you know? That is super cool. I can't imagine the level of kids these days compared to what it was like in 94, 95 going to high school or, or even teaching the kids around that era. But I, I can, that's cool. So you make a living off of doing that mostly? Yeah. When I uh, pretty much, I, I left the Ataris and uh, I got this job down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, working in artist relations for the Hangout Music Festival. And I was there for about six or seven years. And then I ended up having my first son and my wife and I moved back to Indiana and I'd taught in the past and I just started it again. And, and as long as you keep a lot of students, it's a really good job. It's just, you have to do your own taxes and everything, you know? Oh yeah. And then you're, you're constantly busy and that's a lot and you have to be on your game dealing with people and teaching people every day. So I commend that for sure. Yeah. Dealing with the parents is kind of sketchy sometimes, but I do my best. <laughs> Yep, I remember, um, it was for me, it was, I'd drive to these parents' houses in these gated communities in the area. We lived in Ponte Vigia Beach, Florida, and we would, um, we would, I would take check. you know, back in the days when they would write checks, and it was all, you'd always get all these, you'd have a stack of checks from yeah. all these kids' parents, so I'll never forget those days. So you were talking about going to, to the, uh, the arts high school, you know, you were there in Florida. I guess we can, we can forward a little bit. Were you, were you in a lot of bands before you formed Yellow Card or was that like your first band? Yep. No, that was actually the first band in 1997. Um, we formed, I kind of met, I had met, um, I played with LP Longitude Parsons, the drummer, him and I, which we should have invited him for this wonderful conversation. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I'll have him on again. I he, think he's a great drummer, man. He, yeah, he and I are still, you know, best friends to this day. He actually just recently moved from Florida back to California. Him and I met in high school, and I think it was like 94, 95. And we just jammed in my mom's bedroom and stuff like that. And uh, we ended up um, going to this arts, or we ended up, yeah, going to, uh, Arts basically 97, 
The band formed in 97 through Arts High School. I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I almost forgot the original question. Well, no, the original question, I just wanted to know if like you were in bands before that, and I, I saw the yellow oh, card. Yeah, no bands, no. No bands before. It was my first high school band that was 17 years old. Maybe we got together and like covered some songs when I was in middle school or something like that, but nothing serious. I think, I don't know, who knows how young kids are starting bands these days, but yeah, no. It was 10th grade, and then LP and I jammed a couple years before that. Sorry for getting off track there. My dog was kind of no, it's doing cool. something unknown inside the window. <clears throat> but yeah, no, I, I got lucky. I got I got lucky. The band, I started the band in high school, and that's, that was the band that you know I had a career with. So, so uh, where did the name come from? Oh, no. Um, I remember it was like, we had a, our, it was like a backyard high school show, and we were a band for a few weeks, and we needed a name. And we sort of just threw, um, threw names around the room and yellow card we got, it had an interest in because it meant it was a warning and, uh, we just went with it and we stuck with it and we ended up using it as like, when we would hang out when we were kids and someone would spill a beer or break a bong or something like that, we would say, you know, yellow card, you got one more, you're out of here sort of thing. And it became a joke and it stuck. That's awesome, man. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? Well, and that takes me to your your first record, Midget Tossing. Uh, can you give me a little bit of back, background where that name came from for the album? That was crazy. Um, I just, I it was literally we would um, rehearse every single day after high school. We would come to the current singer. We had a a different singer than um, Yellow Card's known for at the time. And we would go to Ben, his name was Ben as well, we'd go to Ben's house and we would rehearse and not going to lie, we smoked a lot of pot and just would put our hours in and that's what we would do. And it was, I don't know where, honestly, where it came from, <laughs> but if you look at it, Midget Tossing is an actual sport and we were just fascinated. I think it was our singer was fascinated with actual Midget Tossing and our bass players, um, our bassist cousin was an artist and he just came up with that beautiful drawing and we went with it to this day. And to be perfectly honest, because you brought up midget tossing, believe it or not, um, Takeover Records was the record label that came up, came out with, uh, it was our record label. And we came out with the first few yellow code releases, even the demo that got us signed. And, um, we are going to be releasing midget tossing to Spotify and <laughs> awesome, you know, iTunes music. And that'll actually be out sometime this year. So people want to go way back. They can forget the card. That's awesome, man. Well, you just brought up takeover records and you also, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but uh, speaking of getting signed, I know you guys signed to lobster records. Um, was that, let me see probably around 2000, something around there. Mm-hmm. You, you know your stuff, sir. <laughs> I, I did some research. I'm hoping it's correct. Wikipedia is wrong. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, we signed to Lobster Records. I remember we got uh, Ryan Key, is the, the Ocean Avenue era singer. He was a, a musical theater friend. We all went to that arts high school where we, where we formed, and he ended up joining the band after our current singer got into the electronic music scene, and he just sort of wasn't into being a singer as much as our friend Ryan, who had just gotten back from California with his band Craig's brother, and had all these songs, and we did this small demo, and I remember Warren and I flew out to California, the bass player and I flew out to California, and we met with two labels, and it was Drive Through Records and Lobster Records, and Lobster Records was more family to us, whereas Drive Through was the established label 
kind of, you know, the major label in a sense, but it was all indie. You know, they were just like the big guys. And we did the whole Stefan stand on Richard Rain's back thing, and, <laughs> which was, if you, know, if you know about that, you know about, you know, drive through. Yeah, I've got some buddies. That, I've got some buddies that were on drive through. Yeah. I've, I've heard stories about it. Heard the standing on the back story. I'm sure. Um, you could tell my listeners the story if you'd like to, though. I'm, my listeners might not know the story. <laughs> okay, well, um, if, if you're not familiar with the Richard Rains drive through records and on the back story, I don't know if anyone's supposed to be secret or anything, but a lot uh, during that time when drive through, you know, had the Newcomb Glory in Midtown and. We're pretty prevalent in the early pop punk world. Um, he, it was standard. You'd go and you'd meet with him or go to their office, drive through records office and give them the demo and he'd show you around the office and he would have you, he would, he would tell you that he has a bad back and to establish trust or whatever. Can you please stand on my back and like kinked out, help me kink out. Like you're like, stand, like physically stand on your back and you'd be like, yes, and he would get on his stomach. And he would have you literally stand on his back. And I guess it relieved pain or whatever for him. Yeah. And I don't know what it was, but I guess it was, you know, the, I don't know to this day really what that was. But um, <laughs> maybe it's just some weird, weird thing trying to freak young bands out. I don't know. You know, who knows? I, even if like, I, I don't even, you know, I, I don't know. That, I don't even know how that would be looked upon these days. But, uh, it was super weird. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe it was a long time joke. And I had maybe people that were actually on drive through know more than I do. Yeah. That's maybe in, throughout your podcast, you can help us figure this out. That, that'll be the running thing. I'm going to try to get some guys from Finch and different guys on here. So yeah, maybe I can figure out what's the deal with, with standing yeah, on his back. Talk to Kenny from starting line. Help, you know, talk yeah. to the guys, please. Awesome. Talk to the They probably know. Talk to Johnny. Um, <laughs> but no, um, to, to get back to the story, we ended up signing with Lobster. We had some sort of, our bass player, Warren Cook, who's very much a founder and had everything to do with starting Yellow Card. His older brother, JC, used to work for Melancholy and all these cool epitaph bands and also did Lobster Records bands who had Sean, the original guitar player, Blagwagon, had his band Buckwild on Lobster Records and, you know, sort of small, you know. Yeah, we all grew up on Strung Out and Data Religion and Lagwagon and all that kind of stuff. So we were very fond of that. And so we went with them and we had the opportunity to sign with Lobster off of that demo. We ended up moving to California from Jacksonville, Florida to Camarillo Ventura because we were on a Santa Barbara record label and we did a, a, a record with Darian Rundle, who was known for doing Pennywise Straight Ahead and then was running Fletcher's studio in Hermosa Beach. Awesome. And it was called Stall Number Two. That's a quick little story in that show with Lobster for you. Well, I I, I knew uh, I knew some of the guys in Mock Orange for a while that were on Lobster because they're from Indiana, and I just I always thought Lobster was a great yeah. great label. Like Lorraine Drive was on Lobster; they're a great band. And what's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. I just I don't know a lot of quality about the bands, yeah, quality bands, yeah, very talented. Well, bands. it's um, 
a guy named Steve Lavarsky. He's still, you know, he's out there on Facebook world and maybe you'll hear this one day. And he, um, I don't think they're still doing stuff, but yeah, like you just said it, he signed a bunch of really cool bands like park and mock orange and, and introduced us to some, you know, got a real cool crew with the producers. He brought to his head, Cameron Webb, who's doing a lot of the current records right now. Yeah. Um, like the new Strung Out, the new Pennywise, the new No Effects. Um, a lot of these older bands are doubling back over to Cameron. He did a lot of the early Lobster records, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know what you know what the downfall was or here. I know Yellow Card was signed from Capital from Lobster Records, and so I don't know what actually happened after that. You know, obviously yeah. because he went on into Capital, and but man, <clears throat> it was um, seriously. Uh, it was a really good experience. I mean, I remember driving from Ventura Camarillo up to Santa Barbara to pack our own yellow card, one for the kids promo things and actually mail them out to actual people and all those days, you know, <clears throat> fulfillment days. That's awesome. So when you, days. when you signed to lobster, you guys put out, you know, one for the kids and you also did the underdog EP like right after that. How was that received? Did you guys do a lot of touring right out of the gate? I mean, did you feel like you'd made it at that point? Um, during the lobster records days with one for the kids, it was, we were focused on doing local shows around California. We did a couple across the country runs, which were just California to Florida runs. Cause we had fans in Florida from living there, moving from, um, moving to California from there. So we would do that. We would try stopping in Texas and Arizona and all that kind of stuff along the way and, and do that. But we also focused on playing in, in Orange County and Pomona Places like the Glass House, not the Glass, what was that place? Showcase Theater. Um, Chain Reaction. Full, uh, Chain Reaction is, are some of those places we would start playing. We would open up for bands like Slick Shoes and be lucky to play at 7 o'clock, you know, play, open up for them first out, of four, first out of four bands and get in front of a full house at Chain Reaction. Those are the things we did, and we were lucky because of Lobster Records to have CDs, um, printed CDs. Yeah. The um, And... And I remember, you know, I think it was the second time we opened up for Switch at Junior after we actually had discs on us. And I think we, I remember selling 100 CDs to the crowd of about three or 400 people. And nobody knew who we were. And um, that's what we did. And we would come back to Chain Reaction months later and have kids singing along. And we had, those were the first days of message boards and mp3.com. And those were the days where, you know, I think us and we would play with bands like Rufio and stuff like that and built you know sold sold out like kids civic center or kids little civic centers and thousand oaks and stuff like that and that was sort of the beginning those were the days where we built stuff up and built up a, a actual ground roots following but there was it was the beginning of social media or internet you know yeah. going viral because i remember our song october nights was one of the first um songs to hit a hundred thousand plays on mp3.com wow. if i remember correctly did you just hear about yeah, did you just, just hear about MySpace uh today or yesterday? They lost like all yeah, of, all of the old music that was on their servers. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty intense. I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, right. I mean, <clears throat> they were migrating uh servers and I guess somebody hit a wrong button or something, man. There's probably some yellow card stuff got lost, some Atari stuff got lost. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And it's just like me I mean I forget I almost forget like what MySpace looks like 
Wait, would it people just load their original music directly to MySpace? Yeah, I mean, you if you had, you know, how you have like a band, I remember a band page for your Facebook. It's the same thing with band MySpace, page, yep. but they had like an actual player on the band page, and when you went to the band page, it started playing automatically, and then you would like look and oh, we got a hundred plays today, and it would just keep counting and counting. So it was yeah, they would carry they carried over the MP3 concept. The MP3.com started yeah. that went over to my you know. And that's, I guess, uh, Facebook has been king for so long or whatnot, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, I miss the days of players and counters. I think we should bring it back. Oh, I do too. What because do you, you always, that's the thing with the podcast. Like I have analytics and I can always, you know, when I release an episode, I wake up the next morning, and I'm like, wow, I got like a thousand plays. <laughs> it's it's the same kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just miss, yeah, I guess you're right. We have Spotify now. We yeah. have Spotify. We have Spotify plays. And that's, um, that's what, our, you know, plug, you know, I still have digital distribution with takeover records and we're fascinated with the streaming world and, um, you know, seeing what Spotify and all these streaming services are doing nowadays. So can you tell me like how the whole thing with capital started? I mean, you guys, you guys put out the record, the full length on lobster, and then you also did an EP on lobster capital seems like quite a big jump. How did that all, all that get going? Um, well, it, it, you, you know, picks off, picks up right after what I was saying, how we were playing shows around town. And we actually, you know, between the message board, mp3.com and showing up playing these local shows, we were pulling kids, people, three of the people were coming to our Roxy show, you know, or the key club and this and that. And, and we were bringing people to showcase theater and Capitol records. It was like out of the movies, you know, started noticing. And we also had a manager type person that came into our world that already had known certain ARs and stuff. And so people were um, hearing about us. They would come out and see kids singing along, you know, and the, the whole having that occur so seamless, seamlessly was because of the beginning days of the internet message board and beautiful thing. Um, and, and it was the beginning of it. And so, yeah, yeah, we were very, we kind of slipped in there right at the end, right at the end of, big budgets and record, you know, big, big major labels and all that kind of stuff. And, but we were very much a part of a viral sort of thing. And, uh, I remember our, and our Louis Van Deck, I think it took like, uh, it took like seven, seven, about seven concerts, um, before we even went into a meeting with Capitol Records. And I think, we, uh, there was a Warner Brothers was in the fold. And maybe Sony, <clears throat> but um, it just happened. I don't know, really know what to say. It just sort of, uh, it just sort of happened, and it really had to do with just people were coming to our shows and shows, and <clears throat> we started. We had a booking agent and already, and her name was Corey Christopher, and she books, you know, like Rise Against and No Effect and all those kinds of bands these days. She's one of the biggest. Yeah, we came came up with her, and we just had we were ready to go. <clears throat> and it worked and um that's that we, it was 2002 we ended up in february we signed your capital record so when you, you're on capital ocean avenue was the the debut record on capital and that's the you know the big record that hit it reached number 23 on the charts what was like you know the feeling when you guys were recording that you know how, how was it in the studio the writing process were you guys did you know you were on to something or were you kind of nervous like how was that uh, it was definitely jumping, you know, diving into the unknown. We had no idea. Um, if our songs were those 
you know, type of songs that would perform well on that stage, like Capitol Records. Um, but there was the things like Warp Tour and all those things that Capitol Records was able to get us on, which helped um, helped all that. Uh, it started, I think we went up to my grandparents' mountain house in, in December. I think it was in Lake Arrowhead. And we um, wrote a batch of, I think, eight or eight to ten songs. There was a, a cool producer selection process where we met Neil Avron, and we were very impressed with what he did with New Found Glory. We knew New Found Glory, they were from South Florida, and from Drive Through Records, and they had, from their first record to the record they did with Neil Avron, the sonic quality was just like, it was massive. You know, we never heard like, other than maybe like Blink-182, et cetera, we heard that kind of production on pop punk. And we ended up meeting him. I remember it was in San Francisco, chose him, brought that initial batch of songs to him. And, you know, songs like Ocean Avenue and Only One were uh, written, <clears throat> you know, in pre-production and stuff like that. It was actually written, you know, as, as a group in the band room. Um, knowing that we had a couple more songs before we were really in the album, but it was amazing. I don't know. I can't. Um, it was some of the best times ever in my life. I'll never forget it. That kind of stuff and the magic. And I, I think, I don't think we knew we were on to something, um, but we were already riding the wave off of just being, you know, just having kids seeing our old songs, you know, the, the Lobster Record songs and having success and going to cities for the second time and, and visually seeing the turnout. Yeah. Um, we knew we had something going on, but we didn't know it was going to transfer over into, you know, the major label world or the MTV world or whatnot. Was it crazy for you? Like, you know, when you started having the videos on MTV and I think I remember you guys were at like the VMAs at one point and did you win a VMA? Yeah, we did. Um, that had to be, that, that had to be a mind fuck, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. It was the MTV2 Award. And just getting nominated was one thing, but then we were asked to actually perform. So we really got the royal treatment. We got the, we were under MTV's wing for a second. And to be asked to perform, I think there was only three rock, there was Hoobastank, Jet, and Yellow Card, the three bands that performed on that particular VMAs. Wow. So it was a very rock-like rock show. It was right, right in the beginning when they started cutting out the, the rock. Remember, I told you, I grew up watching the VMAs. Yeah. So for me, it was full, I, you know, I got into music watching Pearl Jam on the VMAs. For me, it was full circle. So at that point in 2004, when we played the VMAs, I'm like, okay, this is it, you know, before the, the stage opened up. And then we ended up, um, after we performed, and then we went back to our seats and ended up winning an award. It was huge. That's awesome. Super man. huge. And we, I remember um, going up to get the award. We all went there and we did our thing. And Beastie Boys were the ones who presented it. And so we collected the award from the Beastie Boys. And there was like Sasquatch or wh whoever it was up there with them. And then on our way back, um, I think it was either after the award or after the performance. I just, I'll never forget walking back. And it was P. Diddy and Bruce Willis stood out of their chairs and were just good job and shook all of our hands and like <laughs> hugged us and it was just never forget that you know um those good times those are mind-blowing times never forget and I, i'm so lucky the you know yellow card continued after i was out of the band for many years and of course you know, did a few records but i'm so lucky to have been a part of those 
particular Ocean Avenue huge MTV days. Yeah. Well, one thing that I saw, you know, uh, I want to ask you, you know, about leaving the band, if you wouldn't mind talking about it. But I saw that you, the the other guitar player that took your place, was credited on Lights and Sounds. But then I also saw that you played on that record as well. Is that true? Yeah, I absolutely played on that record and helped write that record. Not sure. I haven't seen where he was credited on that record. Maybe on other things, but. I think I don't um, think he was credited. I think it just said like he was in the band, but then it said like you know other musicians or whatever. Like it said like what you did on the internet on the record, but for some reason it said like it it had him as the guitar. I don't know. It was weird. The internet's weird. Hey, you have to send me those links. Whatever you have, send them over. I will. I'll um, send them over <clears throat> for sure. No, um, that's the big mystery thing is because I wrote the record and played on the record with the band. I was actually one of the members that went out to New York City and lived in New York City because it was, um, instead of all of us writing the record as a, a group, like we did Ocean Avenue, a couple of the guys went out to New York and whereas the rest of the band stayed in LA and um, I was able to stay with someone, a friend be able to, you know, to be in the city with the initial writing of the record. It was very interesting but um, the whole thing is I didn't tour on the record. I was out of the band when the record was finished. We had that big thing happen. And um, that's maybe the confusion because no one has ever seen me be on stage and play those songs. That that might be what it is. Because like I said, it's just yep. Googling you and Yellow Card and then trying to find all these things that are true or not true. You know? mm-hmm. So you left. That's the- why we're going to come out with the book in the movie. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you left the band before that record came out. Can you tell me a little bit about why you left the band? Um, I hate saying throwing questions with um. <laughs> I was. I didn't actually leave the band. I was actually asked to leave the band, okay. and I think that's fair enough to say nowadays that it's no. The yellow card's no longer. Um. They're, you know, they're no longer a band. Yeah. They, they um, tastefully ended their careers a couple of years ago, or Ryan tastefully called it quits and titled R-A-T-Y-C. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I was out of the band in, it was 2005, I was asked to leave the band, um, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah, no, uh, it wasn't, yeah, it was, basically it was written in the press. That I was the idea, and it was sort of in agreement during the legal back and forth, was that we weren't going to come out and say, you know, oh, that we had this big falling out, this and that, or whatever, you know, have a bunch of rumors come out and make it sound like it was amicable and not really rupture the fan base at the time because it was right before lights and sounds came. Yeah. And as much, yeah, no, it was it was pretty gnarly. Um, pretty gnarly. I don't. <clears throat> I haven't really ever talked about it before, um, about certain specifics, nothing on like recording or. Well, that's why, like, I was wondering, I mean, you don't have to speak about anything you don't want to, but I, I really couldn't find anything. And, and I've always been kind of a fan of the band and I've been a fan of the other stuff that you've done. And, and I just, I don't know, man, I just never knew why it happened. You know, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to know. Well, there's, you know, there's different, different sides to every story. and, And I'll tell you right now, um, I haven't had a lot of conversation other than, you know, LP and I have been friends throughout everything, but I haven't really had a lot of conversations with the certain members involved during when that happened. We haven't really gone over it. You know, we haven't been like, now it's been so many years. It'd be like, Hey, this is what, 
this is what what happened in our twenties. It's kind of would be like that would probably be what we would start it out with. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I like you know I can just be kind of vague. I was super involved with my record company at the time, and I for whatever reasons, <clears throat> um, uh, my involvement with lights and sound. I know that I was leaving the studio to go to my record label office, and I had you know, uh, staff and interns and a bunch of artists that I was actually, you know, those are the days we were actually funding the recordings and um, maybe the, the certain members in the band had problem with how involved I was with that record company. And that's how I was, um, that's what I was told. I was basically told to focus on my record company and leave yellow card to them. Yeah. And that's about it. I don't want to you know, talk too much yeah. about it. And there was a legal, there was a legal back and forth that ensued for almost six months. And then I was actually signed out of the band. Um, and yeah, I didn't want to be out of the band. Heck no. Yeah. And yeah. So, and I think there's a couple of us that want to really tell the story one day. And I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to speak for LP, but he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't have the chance to be on this podcast and he's busy, you know, living life. <clears throat> but he, uh, yeah, he, he too, I think it says that he, um, left the band and that's not the case whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and that's the thing, man. This is, I'm not like a journalist. I'm not looking for dirt. I was just always kind of wondered what happened and thank you very much for telling the story. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, let's get back to no cool, problem. cooler stuff. So, uh, you know, when, once you left the band, uh, you joined Amber Pacific, which is a great band. Uh, I saw them on Warp Tour so many times back in the day when I was touring on that tour. Uh, how did that all come about? Did you know those guys prior? You know that was that was cool. That was uh, I was in my first place, my new place. I was in Long Beach, California. I had a recording studio and at my record company in the house, first record company house office. And I remember an email came in from their manager just asking if I would be interested because they had lost their guitar player. If I had interested, was interested in touring with the band on, and I said, yes. And I got flown up to Seattle and I love Seattle. And we, I was on a tour bus, shared a tour bus. We shared a tour bus with uh, the band all time low. It was their first tour ever. And it was all hopeless records. Yeah. So I was actually sharing a tour bus with all time low on their first tour ever. And you could see the kids already like going crazy for them when yeah. they would open every night. But I became good friends with Will and Matt and Liberty Amber, and we—that was just a—I was a, just a great honor to be asked to get back on the road right after that happened with Yellow Card. It was super cool, and I think it got into the point where um, it was time for them to do a new record, and I just sort of bowed out. I wasn't ready to get in to that process with a whole new group of guys just yet. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. too, it was just a year and some change out of yellow card. And you know, it's just, that was it. So and I'm still friends with most of those guys today, or, you know, whoever. Yeah. All of those guys actually. That's awesome. The whole, whole freaking band. Yeah. <laughs> so after your, yeah. after your tour of duty in Amber Pacific, you joined Hey Mike, which is another great band. Uh, according to Wikipedia, you are still in Hey Mike. Is there anything going on with Hey Mike right now? Yeah, well, here's Hey Mike was the flagship artist with Takeover Records. Uh, they with Craig's brother and you know Near Miss. They uh, 
Hey Mike was a, a couple of guys and I actually helped put the group together. If you think about it, even though Hey Mike was kind of Steven Newfield's project too as a kid, he went at one point played all the instruments and recorded the original Hey Mike EP on his own. Um, I you know, just through the touring of yellow card and, and just the, the family of bands, Hey Mike arrived and we did a few albums with Mike green on takeover records. And so when I was out of yellow card, it was, they were like my best friends. It was just, a no brainer for me to um, play guitar, second guitar with them. Cause they would survive as a one guitar band. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, two guitars would just sweeten it. But yeah, no, I just was in, I've been in and out of the band and the band is sort of a, a project of many of Steven Newfield. Steven Newfield played bass in this legend. He's the brainchild of uh, Hey Mike. And he has another band called Brookhurst. And so when Hey Mike is it's time to do Hey Mike again, I hope I am going to be the guitarist, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and do stuff with them. I think that's one of the next things on his list other than this legend. So yeah, it's all kind of in the works. There's a lot of stuff in the works. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I think the <laughs> industry's every year is getting more and more ripe for bands to come back together or release stuff because streams are becoming more and more valuable. So yeah. And I, I love this. We should all be going. The segues in this conversation have been great because I was going to ask you about th uh, this legend, which I checked you guys out recently. Uh, I know I think the last stuff you guys recorded and put out was in 2014, but I got to say, man, it, it's great stuff. I love I love that it's it's kind of got that pop punk feel, but then it also has some like heavier parts to it. I really enjoy it. Can you tell me about what's going on with this legend or how that all came about? Yeah, this legend, I'm super proud of because that is, LP when LP, you know, yeah, we keep connecting different points on this conversation. LP when LP was out of Yellow Card, when he was actually asked to leave the band in 2014, early 2014, he called me and I haven't heard from him in about five years. And we've always been close throughout all the comings come, come and goings of the band stuff. And he had um, reached out to me the day he was out of Yellow Card and said, what's up? And I was up in Big Bear. He was in West Hollywood. It's probably about a two-hour drive. And I think the next... He wanted to come up, I think, that night. And I was like, oh, don't drive up here. It's pretty dangerous. And I think the next night we met up. And before This Legend was a band name or anything, we had um, this wonderful, these wonderful people by the name of Jen Abeda and Aaron Abeda. Aaron Abeda is well oh, yeah. known as El Jefe from No Effects. <laughs> totally. El Jefe is awesome, man. His wife's great as well. Yeah. Yep. And he and they had recently seen LP play a yellow card show and were on the phone with LP and knew that him and I had reconnected. And they just, in a sense, like really wanted us to start something and introduced us to Chris Castillo, who is the singer songwriter of this legend. And we clicked and we immediately got Steven from Hey Mike to play bass and do backup and started this legend and got a record deal. We had a record deal before we had a band name. <laughs> awesome. It was super cool. And we just really got together super quick. And I think we were in the, we were in the studio by, I think we were a band by May and we were in the studio by July and we pumped out a record funded by Cybertracks, which was, um, El Jefe and his wife's label, you know, they're still going and they're still signing bands. And if it was up to us, we'd have another record out for them or on takeover records. But um, we just haven't quite been able for all of us to take our personal lives and get back together to where we were um, 
to where we're, you know, doing a new record. It's been about four years, I think, since we've been a band. We're coming on our fourth year. And we've talked about it and talked about it. Did you do any touring? We did it. Yeah, we did, yeah, this legend for about a year and a half. We did a lot of touring. We didn't stop. And uh, we did a, a full, the Lag Wagon Hang tour. We did that whole Canada, North American run. You know, the States and Canada. Yeah. And that was that was absolutely awesome. We did a couple on our own and small packages with other bands. I think we, you know, probably did about three or four tours, and we had an agent. We were with Ben from APA, and we. I was very proud of us to get all of that together. You know, it was, it was so awesome for LP and I to come together and just have a focus. And at that, you know, a lot of people know it's hard. You know, when you're in your mid thirties or whatnot to get bands together, and yeah. especially with people have lives and jobs. You know what I mean? To start something brand new, brand new name, brand new songs, brand new style, and we did that. And I hope you know whether it's this year or next year. I don't even care. I hope just one point we're able to come back and revisit and do some more of this legend songs. I know Chris has sent me new songs, the singer, and I know LP wants to do it. And he's back in California. And, but you know, our bass player, Steven just had a kid, you know, yeah. people are getting married. People are having babies. People are doing career changes and, and moving. And once everyone gets settled, it'll come around again. And I think we did enough damage or had enough head, enough of a head start where people know this legends were it'll be worth it and i think it's worth it anyways just to put out good music right yeah definitely man so uh takeover yeah. records you've, you've mentioned it quite a bit i, I want to dig into that a little bit uh you said you first started that you know putting out the early yellow card stuff and it, it survived and gotten to be this big actual you know real record label is there a lot going on with takeover right now and does that take up a lot of your time um i'm i'm glad you asked um for me I have, to be perfectly honest, I have, Takeover Records is my thing. Um, it was an, it was so awesome being in Yellow Card and be able to sign bands and take all those Yellow Card fans and work Tour fans and be able to divert them to new bands and have that little family of independent artists. Um, and then after the days of CDs and actually paying for people's recordings, I think from about 2007 to 2011, there was like this dead zone where nobody, you know, nobody was doing the CD thing. No one was really putting a lot of money into artists. Um, and there wasn't any streaming in that sort of time. And we, to this day, we now are, we focus on digital distribution. We are lucky enough because we had old yellow card releases at the time in a little roster. And we did what we did when I was in yellow card, we signed with a company called the orchard. It wasn't the orchard at the time. We were with a different company. We got acquired by the orchard. The orchard is owned by Sony and they're one of the biggest digital distributors out there. And so to this day, I'm still bringing art. I think I did four releases last year. Um, or in the last, in the last year, just four releases. But it's all it is, is you're taking bands that already have the recordings and you're getting them, you know, on Spotify and Pandora for, you know, a little more transparent rate and they actually knowing what they're getting on a monthly basis, uh, as opposed to being on CD baby or TuneCore, I'm able to still offer digital distribution deals to artists. So that's what takeover records is now is we're a digital record label. So, um, for, you know, I feel like, I feel like things are going that way anyway, though, because I mean, I don't remember, I love, I buy vinyl a lot, but I don't remember the last time I bought a CD and I just don't know how these record labels are making it anymore. If you go digital, I mean, I just feel like that's the wave of the future. I, I think that's great that you guys are doing that. 
Right. Well, we, you know, the whole thing is transparency. It's like nobody's knowing, nobody really knows what's, what they're getting from Spotify and all these streaming services that have been around now almost for 10 years. And because of our deal and what we are grandfathered in with the orchard, we're able to kind of say, Hey, we're getting 0.00 whatever per stream from Spotify. And this is what TuneCore and CD baby are actually paying out over the last few years. And we're able to offer the artists a little bit more, maybe even double than what some of these companies are offering. And then we're also transparent on the back end and the numbers, and we're actually issuing checks every month where people are telling us that now I've been for the last two or three years, I've been really researching this and you're going to see, I'm actually leaving good old big bear Lake, which is the mountains in Southern California, kind of small town stuff. I'm leaving my, I've been in the medical marijuana industry for eight years now and it's time for me to get back into the big cities and going to shows and getting more. I want to sign a hundred artists, maybe a hundred, if it has to be pop punk or rock artists, I will, you know, any artists that will follow the lead and, and join the orchard with us and, and start, you know, showing people they can actually make money off of streaming. And it's not such a far fetched idea because a lot of people are jaded. Yeah. And now there's all things that have been passed like music modernization act that have been passed and things are going to change, you know, but streaming in the next 10 years, the arrows pointed up. And if we can get a solid group of artists that are actually showing the world that they're making some money, unlike they are on CD baby or team core. And, and that's what I want to do. And that's sort of where, yeah. So you see, you're going to hopefully see a lot of takeover records in the future. Well, that's awesome. Call it. Um, yeah, that's about it. <clears throat> Do you have anything else coming up in the future, musically or otherwise? Like, like what does take up a lot of your time right now as far as, like, what do you do for fun? What do you do for work, you know? Yeah, like I was saying, medical marijuana. I've been doing a medical marijuana delivery service up in uh, the mountains for years now. And that's something for you living for you. Um, and, uh, you know, I was lucky to do this legend um, a few years ago with LP and I hoped that we're, you know, if there was anything musically I could be in a band, that would be the next thing to reappear. He's got a new band called the sequel secret social club. So definitely check that out. And hopefully he's got some time to do a new, this legend recording that should be down the pipeline. And then other than that, yeah, go for record, just providing artists or, or whatnot with, um, uh, a real, you know, a transparent digital distribution deal where they're actually seeing money every month. That's awesome. Man. Yep. So, Hey, I just want to say, you know, I have one more question for you and then I'm going to let you go. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, this, this show is called that, okay. that one time on tour. So I know we've talked a little bit about touring and some people prepare a story, but I, I just kind of like to catch people off guard. Is there a time on tour that, you know, just sticks out to you a funny thing, a scary thing, just something insane that happened to you on tour. Could you tell my listeners? I've got a bunch of stories. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's like, I could do like the, the really cool, like who we've smoked pot with stories. Okay. That's good. And, yeah. Or like, you know, I mean, we've, there's, we smoke uh, LP and I and certain like yellow card performances. And we, we, definitely represent the stoner, you know, stoner genre. Yeah. And we, uh, we've been lucky enough to smoke, smoke blunts and play Madden with like some Nate dogs, vanilla ice, <laughs> like, you know, multiple, multiple times on the top of Capitol records. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's um, cool. and there's, 
there's been multiple stories. And then, you know, there's this, I think there's this classic story of, um, it's, it's, it's kind of gross. I think it's online. It's like someone made a cartoon out of it, but we were touring in Canada and like the cold, it was February in Canada. So you can imagine how cold it was. And well, I, I keep it kind of quick, but I just, <laughs> I remember like the bus, we thought something was wrong with the bus or someone had gone. I don't know if I can tell this right took a number two on the bus. You know, you're not supposed to take a number two on the bus. Well, you got to do, you got to do what I used Um, to do, man. You put like the bag from the truck stop in the toilet and then you go number two and you just toss it out the window. Yeah. You're supposed to toss it out and because you don't want to stick up the tank. Yeah. 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 But you you never go number two on the bus though. You never do that. Right. Because it lingers. It lingers. And we'll never forget it was whatever city was Winnipeg or something. We were continuing, we smelled the smell and we didn't know what it was and days went by and it was worse and worse and we didn't know, you know, we had the toilet, the tank flushed out and all this stuff and da 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 and we were trying to retrace our stuff from what had happened and I think, I forget, I, I, for what I, you know, I, I know there's a better version, look up online, it's like yellow card, poop, tour story, you know, bus story, Canada winner, hashtag whatever. I guess some chick really had to go on the bus and couldn't hold it and ended up going number two in a trash can in the bus and it <laughs> sat there yeah. for weeks. Yeah, and our and our bus driver finally found it or whatnot. And it was like, I don't know, it's way, the story's way better. Um <laughs> You know, told if it, you know, if I was prepped for this, but I should have been on this podcast that one time on tour. <laughs> hey, dude, that, that's, on tour. that's a good, that's good enough, man. That is a, that one time on tour. I will tell you, it reminds me, this doesn't have anything to do with tour, but my dad always used to tell me this story when he was in college that, uh, one of his buddies had a roommate that he didn't like. So he actually took a shit in a shoebox and put it under the guy's bed. And he ended up not every, he didn't ever even found it, but he had to actually move to a different dorm because they didn't know what the smell was. <laughs> Yeah, same thing. Same thing. It was like the big mystery, and then it was like, oh my god! And just the funny part was that this this poor chick actually took a fucking what? However, maybe she did the bag in the toilet thing and just threw it in her trash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hoping that we would throw out our trash sooner or later, but no one really used that trash can. <laughs> That's so, hilarious, man. I don't know, it was a bunch of guys, you know, on tour. So yeah, anyways, good times. I, Good time. But uh, yeah, I appreciate. So I was, yeah, so I've been so busy in life, I wasn't more prepared for this awesome podcast. But I appreciate what you do, man, and keep it up. Well, I'll tell you what, man. When uh, this legend gets back and you're doing stuff, or you just want to talk about some new releases on Takeover, I'll have you back for a part two, and you can have some prepared stuff. Let's do it. Yep, yep. And awesome. you got to get LP on here one time. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I, I, I think I used to be friends with him on Facebook, but I'm not anymore. Maybe you'll have to give me the hookup on that. Yeah, I'll hook you guys up for sure. He loves talking. He's got some really good on on tour stories. Well, hey, man, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, How can people find you? What are your socials so people can find you on the internet? I'm uh, Facebook forward slash yellow card Ben and then takeover Ben on Instagram. Awesome, man. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes too so people can find you. And uh, I just want to say this was a great conversation and I hope uh, nothing but the best for you and good luck in the future. And uh, I'll be in touch, man. Thank you so much. All right. See you around, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, talk to you soon, man. Bye. All right. Later, Chris. Bye. 
So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Benjamin Harper, founding member of Yellow Card, this legend. Hey, Mike, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Takeover Records, his record label is really cool. Make sure to check them out and support Ben in all of his many endeavors. Um, thank you guys so much. I had a blast with this week's episode. I have a blast with every episode. Next week is no different. I got to sit down with Mr. Connor Lovat Fraser. It's it's French <laughs> from the band Boys Night Out. Boys Night Out is literally one of my favorite bands. Their album Trainwreck kind of changed my life. And I know I say that a lot. You probably think, man, every band in the world changes Chris's life. But no, Boys Night Out, it was something special. And if you don't know who Boys Night Out is, you need to check them out before next week. But uh, yeah, Connor is such a great guy. We got to geek out and talk about all kinds of stuff. So come back next week for my conversation with Connor from Boys Night Out. He's in a great new band called Pale Drone, so check them out as well. But I'm going to get out of here. I appreciate the support, guys. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. Check out all the social media that we provide you at TOTOT podcast. And um, yeah, man, if you want to be a sponsor, hit me up. You got any questions for the Ask Chris episode? Hit me up, TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. You can listen and subscribe at TOTOTpodcast.com or at JabberjawMedia.com. Shout out to my dudes over at Jabberjaw. But I will see you guys next week. I'm going to play a couple songs. I'm going to play Yellow Card, Way Away, and This Legend, Lyrics with My Pin. Catch you guys later. Chris out.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.